So we are in a new month. Holy moly. Welcome to March. <laughs> Yay. Okay. New, new month, new monthly theme, right? Remember the, the magazines? Go pick one up. If you don't have a subscription, pick up March's magazine. Uh, the theme for the month of March is honoring the divine feminine in all. Yay. And now that's not just women, right? It's the divine feminine and all, so it's for everyone. Okay. And today's talk is tilling the soil. And really, one of the things that I'll be talking about this month is really this idea of seed soil plant, because for me, that is the divine feminine, is that that bringing forth life, right? I mean, that's kind of what the divine feminine is all about, the... the, the, uh, his, the mystery in the darkness and what, what uh, forms and then grows and eventually sprouts. So we'll be talking about that. So today's talk is tilling the soil, right? That's the first place to start. And what do those two things have to do with each other, the divine feminine and tilling the soil? Well, I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> Before the talk is over, I promise. Anyway, I thought it was odd that... We're talking about the divine feminine in March because I figured it would be better suited to May because that's right where Mother's Day is. I figured, well, why didn't they put it there? However, March is Women's History Month. Yay! Okay. (laughs) And that is not about you guys. It definitely is about women. So it is Women's History Month in March. So there you go. I get it now. I get why they decided to make this this month's theme. So International Women's Day is March 8th, so it's next Sunday. And it's been celebrated since 1909. Isn't that cool? Yeah, who knew, right? In the early days, it was celebrated the last Sunday in February. Then it was moved to March 19th for a while in, in the United States and Europe. And then in 1911... While it was still March 19th, less than a a week later, uh, March 25th was the um, Triangle Shirtwaist tragedy in New York City. That fire that killed uh, 140 working women, they were trapped in one of those uh, factories. They were making shirtwaists. And and shirtwaists, by the way, are blouses for women, in case you didn't know. It's kind of an odd name, but that's what they were making. And they were... um, the employees locked the, the exit doors so that they couldn't sneak out with any product or they couldn't sneak out onto the fire escape and smoke or something like that, so they were locked in. So 140 women were killed. Now, women's uh, history, whatever it was called, International Women's Day, was uh, used that as the platform for, for the next several years. That disastrous event was used as a platform to... Uh, really bring to the forefront the working conditions of women, and and it it spurred on labor negotiations, and it became the focus of subsequent International Women's Day events for years to come. Now, the UN observed International Women's Day in 1975. (laughs) It took them a while to catch on. Okay, and in 2011, Barack Obama proclaimed March to be Women's History Month. So that's when, it, that's when all of that came, came to pass, and we still haven't been able to pass the ERA. So, you know, if you like women are cranky every now and then, you can understand, right? Uh, we just ratified the ERA in, in, in Virginia. Woohoo! That's like the 36th state, finally, so that it, be, it can become an amendment, except, of course, now it's going to be tied up in the courts for years to come because a couple of those states that ratified it years ago decided to try to, you know, rescind that ratification. Anyway, it's going to be a while. 
We send our heartfelt gratitude to millions of supporters who have fought for the ERA since it was first introduced by Alice Paul in 1923. Okay, it's been a while. You know, you think we could pass it by now. Anyway, she would have been so proud of Virginia. And so all, the reason why I'm saying all this is to kind of just give you a background, right? The 15th Amendment was passed in 1870, giving black men the right to vote. And the 19th Amendment didn't pass till 1920, August 26, 1920. With the hard work and dedication of suffragists like Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucy Stone and Henry Blackwell. They all fought, fought for, protested, and marched for the woman's right to vote. Now, each one of those groups, they wound up splintering and creating their own women's rights groups because they differed on how that should happen. Right? One wanted a constitutional amendment. Another group wanted to just go state by state. Other groups wanted um, the, you know, all of the votes to, to happen all at once. So it led to splits in the organization. Even African-American women split off and they created their own group and they marched with their own alliance as well because they felt like they were being left behind on, on a lot of these marches. And so women like uh, Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin and Mary Church Terrell and Anna Julia Cooper, they formed their own group. And each group believed that they had the way to achieve the goal. And each group believed that their way was the best way to achieve that goal. They all wanted the same thing, but they disagreed on the method. Sound familiar? <laughs> now that we're in election year, does that sound a little bit familiar? Okay. And you know, many of those people didn't live to see the 19th Amendment passed, but they were the ones on the front lines at the time. They tilled the soil, okay? They are the ones that tilled the soil by raising the consciousness of a nation, <clears throat> and they planted the seeds of change for equality. And whether or not they lived to see the change, they were, that, they were on the forefront. They were the ones who planted those seeds. And so each person, although not responsible for the whole change, were, they were part of the change. They were part of the raising of the consciousness. And each one of us has that same responsibility. We want to see change. We, we can, what is that expression? There's like a big, you know, think globally but act locally. You know, that's really what we have. We have the responsibility, first and foremost, though, to change our consciousness. That has to be changed first because we know everything, everything, everything begins in consciousness. Ernest Holmes said this in Love and Law. He said, we cannot make denials and affirmations for 15 minutes and spend the other 23 hours and 45 minutes denying the thing we've affirmed and affirming the thing we've denied and obtain any results at all. Right? We know this is true. We just can't get up in the morning and say our slap our little affirmations on things and hope to have any change at all. We have to attend our consciousness first because all change comes from there. It is manifestation, the change in the physical world, that's the last link in the chain, right? It is the last link in the chain of manifestation is when it shows up on the physical level. So we must first till the soil, and that is our minds. We must first till the soil before we can plant the seed and expect anything at all to sprout. And this was the teaching of Matthew 13, wasn't it? 
when, when they, the farmer goes and throws the seed out, right, and, and it says, as he scattered them across the field, some fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Well, they couldn't have sprouted at all, right? <clears throat> some seeds, what it, after that, it says, some seeds were sprouted quickly, um, but the soil was shallow. And they burned, and they fell over, and they died, because they weren't, they weren't rooted well. The hot sun killed them. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thistles, and they were choked out by the weeds. And then it says, still others fell on fertile soil, and they produced crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And we know this. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about tilling the soil. That is our minds. We have to prepare. You know, Ernest Holmes said, or, I hate this, what is going on? <laughs> I'm cranky about the microphone. <laughs> Ernest Holmes said this, he said, our thoughts are seeds. Can I use this one instead? This is bugging me. Seriously. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Ernest Holmes said, thoughts are seeds. We must make sure that the soil is prepared to accept them. This is the teaching of Matthew 13, right? When it's on the ground, when it's thrown on the concrete, it's not going to sprout. It's only when the seeds are into receptive soil. Seeds, <laughs> seeds of thought on hard ground won't result in anything tangible. Seeds of thought mixed in with weeds or thorns don't stand a chance of thriving. But seeds of thought planted into the fertile soil prepare of the prepared mind will sprout. So first and foremost, that's our job, to prepare our minds, to prepare the soil, create the fertile ground in mind so that our thoughts stand a chance of sprouting and growing and blossoming into the greater life that we are, that we are praying to begin with. Those affirmations and those prayers and all of the things that we're doing, we want them to sprout. That's the whole idea changing our thoughts and changing our life. But they have to go into a fertile and receptive soil in order for them to take root and sprout. Right? Ernest Holmes said, all is love, yet all is, is law. Love is the thought. Love is the impulsion of spirit to create. It points the way. And law, in service to love, finds a way to create that idea and to make it form. However, when we go back to core concept one, what do we know? We know it's all God. It's all God. So concepts like this, concepts like love and law and divine creative process and thought and form, we have to steadfastly remember it's all one thing. It's all one thing. It's not this part of God and that part of God and this part of God. There is no separation. There's only God. There's only God. These are aspects. You know, it's like, it's like saying you are a man and you're a husband and you're a father and you're a son and you're an uncle and you're a cousin and you're a nephew. But there's not all of, they're not different yous, right? It's, it's still the one thing. And that's what we need to know about spirit. It's just one. These are just different aspects. Ernest Holmes said this. I love this quote. Ernest Holmes said, there is no physical explanation for anything in the universe. All causation is spirit, and all effect is spiritual. We are not living in a physical world, but in a spiritual world. 
peopled with spiritual ideas. That's it. It's only spirit showing up in all kinds of manifest forms, but there is nothing physical about it. It's entirely spiritual. This is why we, we must clear our consciousness of duality, of fear, of doubt, of, of scarcity, of lack, of loneliness, of weakness, of any kind of human race thought that keeps us from knowing the truth, that keeps us from knowing the truth of our wholeness. Wholeness is the truth of me. Don't talk to me about facts. Speak to me of truth. Right? Wholeness is the truth of us. And, and because we have free will, we are free to accept any conditions from there. What was it? Uh, Terry McBride always used to say, you know, when we, you're, you're working on your stuff or you're praying or something, spirit is right there fully present saying, you pick the game, I'll play with you there. You pick the game, I will play with you there. So you want to play the game of loneliness? Go right ahead, have fun with that. All right, I'll support you in that. You want to play the game of lack? Absolutely. You want to play the game of abundance? Sure, because spirit always says yes. And so it is our responsibility to clear our minds, to till the soil of our mind, to clear it out, to clear out those thoughts of duality, to clear out the thoughts of lack. I don't care what the world is saying. I want to know truth. I want to know truth. I want to turn away from appearances. Right? Turn away from appearances and know the truth because the stuff that's going on on the physical level, that's just the conditions. And what we know about conditions is they change like that, don't they? They change like that. Man, people are running around losing their minds right now about the stock market, aren't they? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Just losing their minds, you know? And what do, you, and what do we know about that? It's going to change again. Go to sleep, wake up. It's going to be a different number. Man, if you ever watched, you know, and it's like it changes minute by minute, second by second. It keeps changing. It goes up and it goes down. It goes up and it goes down. People are just going wild. And it's like, yeah, who know. What is that ring? There was a ring that the, the um, old, old, old king said. He said, you know, I, uh, I want you to give me the, uh, the answer to everything. <laughs> and it didn't say 42. But what it did say is, <laughs> it said, he said, uh, um, I want you to give me something that will make a rich man cry and a poor man laugh. And he brought him a gold ring. He brought the king a gold ring, and it said, this too shall pass. <laughs> and that's what I know about this. All conditions pass, you know? We need to stay in truth and forget about the facts. Just stay in truth. Emma Curtis Hopkins says we have to specialize ourselves out of condition. We have to specialize ourselves out of the condition. We have to rise up and lean into God. And that's what changes our lives. We have to turn away from the appearances. Jesus said the same thing, right? Judge by, not by appearances. The Greeks said the same thing in their philosophy. It's the shadow on the wall. Don't be bothered with that. Just keep your mind centered on truth. And then when we change our thinking, we change what's going on in our lives. When we change our thinking, the conditions around us begin to change. Emma said it perfectly. We have to specialize ourselves out of the condition. And she didn't mean separate. 
Because we go back to core concept one, God is all there is. So we're not talking about separation. We're talking about specializing ourselves out of the prevailing wind. That is not separation. We are one always, right? We are one always. There is only spirit. We can exempt ourselves from certain experiences that the human race consciousness is, is preoccupied with. But not because we're separated from them, but because we are choosing otherwise. We are choosing. We are still immersed in the one, right? And everything in it is there. And we choose from that universal mind what we experience. This is why, this is why some people respond to medicine and some people don't, right? This is why you have that, you know, who, you know, you can put the medicine in, but you can't make it work. Because of that, that difference, what you align with, it is what you align with. We get to choose on a conscious or an unconscious level what we align with. Reverend Linda Finley, I love this, she said this, um, actually it was just recently. She said, sometimes what my conscious mind desires and what my soul requires may be different, right? So we might think we're going someplace and we wind up going somewhere else and go, what the hell? Oh, I'm sorry. How, where did I, how did I get here? Everything is in universal intelligence, everything. And human race consciousness can affect my consciousness, can it? Don't we get caught up in that a lot? You know, we hear on the, we hear on the news, you know, it's, it's cold and flu season. You better stock up on your NyQuil or yada yada or get your flu shot. That's all human race consciousness. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm saying it's not truth, right? You know, all of those fear thoughts, all of those thoughts of, oh my God, you got to protect yourself, you know, is human race consciousness attempting to affect my consciousness. But, but here's the thing. I can affect human race consciousness as well, can I? Absolutely. I can keep my mind centered on truth. I can keep my thoughts surrounded in truth. And this is what Emma Curtis Hopkins meant when she said we specialize ourselves out of the condition. Right? We look at the condition. We're not denying it. It's not an ostrich thing. I'm not going to stick my head in the ground. You know, what do they, they said, like the practitioner in hell, you know, I'm not here and it's not hot, la, 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 la. You know, it's not, it's not that. It's gazing on the condition and knowing it's not truth. It's as real as it has to be. Ernest Holmes said, it's as real as it has to be. It's just not the truth of us. And when we are immersed in truth and we know only truth, the truth that has no opposite, right, that God is all there is, it changes the conditions around us. We are able to be the exception to the rule. There's always exceptions, aren't there? Why not, why not be, you know, why not let us be that? Why shouldn't we be? The 1918 saw the Spanish flu epidemic. Many, many, many people were killed. A lot of people died, but not everybody died. Not everybody that got the flu, the Spanish flu in 1918 died, but a lot of people did. Some didn't even get sick. You know, in the book, Ernest Holmes' His Life and Times, Fenwick wrote it, his brother, and Fenwick said this, he said, the work of our metaphysical institute went on during the great influenza in the fall of 1918, took hundreds of lives in California, 
Schools and theaters were closed, and people went about the streets with white gauze masks. Don't you love it? Some things never change. <laughs> Attempting to shut out the germ or escape the contagion, workers fell ill at their desks and business places all over the city. We at the Metaphysical Institute went about our business as usual. And although we treated many people who came in or telephoned for help, we did not have a single failure. Now, that is an anecdotal story. I know it, you know, and you know it. We can't, those are the things we cannot reproduce on a scientific basis. But I believe it, absolutely. I believe that prayer changes things. I believe that they could create a, a, a situation where they are um, specializing themselves out of the condition. They specialized themselves out of the condition. Look around today, right? What's going on with the coronavirus? I know about the coronavirus. You know about it. God, you can't not know about it. It's all, every news story, you know, and, and you know, it's not the truth of us. It is a temporary outpicturing of a condition. That's all it is. So I'm not in denial, right? I'm, we're not going to be in denial about it. We put, in, we put in healthy and helpful practices today. I don't know if you saw. We have this. Where is it? We have this, right, all over the place. You should have seen them all over. We have them in the front. We have them in the bookstore. We have them in the bathroom. We have them outside the bathroom. We have them at the back on the sound table. You know, we, we have healthful practices. And we have a, a, there was a handout. I don't know what I did with that either. But there's a handout. Uh, I can't find it. Anyway. Oh, there it is. Yay. Big and bright and orange so you can see it. Little helpful common sense prevention, right, on one side. Affirmative prayer, health and wellness on the other. <laughs> because we know where the power is. Okay? Take one home. Well, do, what you do is you do your prayer work. Now, we, we put these in place because we are conscious that we have physical bodies that we walk around in. We are encouraging fist bumps over handshakes, right? You know, hugs instead of kisses or whatever. We are being wise stewards of the physical bodies that we've been given. But we're focused on health and wellness. We're not in fear of dying. Does that make sense? We're not putting our consciousness around the fear. We're putting our consciousness around that health and wholeness. And we're moving our feet. This is what Ernest Holmes said. Move, you know, treat and move your feet. And so the moving the feet part is, yeah, we're going to do the common sense things so that we stay focused on health. We don't send our mental energy to things we don't want. We have to stop that. You know, we pay attention. And when we pay attention, I love the word pay, right? We use the word pay. When we pay attention, we are actually paying for that experience. We are paying with our mental currency. And we are buying an experience. So what are you, what are you purchasing? What is in your mind? What is your, what is your predominant thought? What is it you're buying with your mental energy? We know what's going on in human race consciousness. Yeah, the terrible, you know, the, the, the stock market went into the tank, you know, and the coronavirus is going to kill us all, and all the Democratic nominees looks like a clown car, you know? <laughs> you, there's all kinds of stuff 
that, that you can look at and you can, you know, you can go, oh my God, we're all going to die. That is not the consciousness we want to be resonating in, right? Are you with me on this? Okay. If we are going to till the soil of our mind, we have to be open and available, right, for those positive thoughts, the positive thoughts. We till the soil of our mind. We plant positive thoughts. And because we have prepared the soil of our mind, those thoughts are easily uh, sprouting, right? They easily sprout. We're not confused. You don't want your mind to be this and that, this and that, either or. Oh, my God, you know? It's great. It's horrible. It's great. It's horrible. Because then nothing grows. You know, the universe is willing to support you. What does the universe say all the time? Yes. Yes. The universe says yes. So you go like... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, I'm, I'm wise, I'm abundant. And the universe says yes. And then two seconds later, you're like, oh my God, I'm so broke, I can't pay the rent. I can't. And what does the universe say? The universe says yes. It still says yes. So this idea of tilling the soil is to be single-minded, to be focused only on truth. Don't worry about the facts. Facts don't impress me anyway. Speak to me of truth. That's where we resonate with. We're not confused. We're single-minded. The soil of our mind is fertile, ready to be implanted with that divine idea. And the divine idea is God's idea of our lives. Lovely, abundant, beautiful, helpful, joyous, wise, whole. And then from there we move our feet, right? Then we make tracks. Eckhart Tolle said, when, when you become comfortable with uncertainty, infinite possibilities open up in your life. It means fear is no longer a dominant factor in what you do and no longer prevents you from taking action to initiate change. When we're not stuck in fear, when we're not afraid of what's going to happen next, we can boldly go, oh, Star Trek reference. <laughs> we can boldly go where no one's gone before, right? But how do we do that? How do we do that? You know, how do we develop that consciousness? What is it we personally need to do you know, to, to go about our lives? No fear, no judgment, no, no doubt. How do we do that? How do we tilt that soil? You know, because that's where it starts. It all starts in mind. We said that right in the beginning. Everything begins in mind. So we need to have that mind open and receptive. We need the mind of a, a fertile soil. So we read, read things that are helpful to you. Read uplifting things. Get that magazine if you don't have it already, or get a subscription. Get, get Ernest Holmes, not the textbook so much. <laughs> I love the textbook, I really do, but it, you know, it may not be the first place to start. It could get really dense. Anyway, get, get you know, that uplifting material. Read, take classes, question, be open at the top. Ernest Holmes said, be open at the top. Don't believe it just because I said it. Don't believe anything I say up here. Try it, test it, question it, experiment with it. Do the things that you have to do to prove it to yourself. You know, learn to say, I don't know. That's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. I don't know, I'll think about it. Or I never thought about it that way. Let me go home and think about it. You know, you can't put anything into a cup that is full. So if you think you know everything, <laughs> you, there's no, you can't have a new thought, right? 
So, so think about it. Empty yourself out and be open at the top, like Ernest Holmes said. We're, you know, this is a perfect time because we're in Lent right now, right? We're in that the Lenten season, and and I I redefined it. Lent means let's a, let's entertain new thought, right? Let's entertain new thought. Yay! You know, it's a great place to be. Well, and but where do we start? We start with Lent. Let's eliminate negative thinking. Let's eliminate negative thinking, and then we can. Let's embrace new thought. So this is the perfect season to do that. It's the perfect season for your practice to be, oh my God, wait, you know, awaken when you have that, that negative thought. It should, be, it should ring a big bell. It should be a big red flag. Like, oh my God, I'm thinking that stupid same old thought again. What do you want to replace it with? You know? We are the seeds. Our thoughts are the seeds. Right? We don't want them to fall on the footpath. They won't ever sprout. And then when we don't go deeper in this philosophy, you know, they say people are in new thought. Well, I've been in new thought 30 years, but actually they've only been in new thought one year 30 times over, you know, <laughs> because they don't go deeper. They don't take it deeper. They don't question. They don't go on with it. They don't read the more challenging stuff. So, so those are the seeds that are planted so shallow that they burn up, right? You don't want those seeds of your thought to burn up. When we scatter our thoughts and we're not clear about them, they go everywhere, nothing can grow. Because whatever it is you're planting, you're planting the opposite as well. We have to prepare our minds. We have to till the soil of our minds, create that open and receptive field of possibilities and plant in that. We are the place where spirit experiences itself. Ernest Holmes said this, he said, we think of the spirit as absolute, self-conscious intelligence. We think of the soul as receptive to intelligence and the intelligence as always acting on it, always. Spirit and soul intersphere each other and both have omnipresence. The spirit of the universe permeates the soul of the universe, forever impregnating it with ideas. The soul of the universe is the holy womb of nature, producing the forms which appear in manifest universe. We're part of that cycle. Our minds also, our bodies also, are the holy womb of nature. We are the ones that are that are impregnated with those divine ideas. And when we are single focused and when we are clear and our seeds fall upon the fertile soil of our minds, our manifestations are absolutely guaranteed. Thank you. <laughs>